0: a deep dive into deliberative process welcome to grand divisions this is the week of september 23rd i'm joel ebert
1: and i'm natalie allison this week on the podcast we have with us deborah fisher she's the executive director of the tennessee coalition or open government. Deb, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Hadley. We decided to have Deb come on to talk about uh, deliberative process. Ooh, and befo-
0: Inside baseball stuff. Before <laughs> you
1: guys turn this off, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> essentially what that is, is the idea that um, our elected officials, uh, those in the legislature, the governor's office, can withhold documents that otherwise would be public. Um Because they are in the process of of making decisions and planning things and creating policy. Um, And so Deborah wrote a a really insightful blog post on this issue um, a week or so ago, following a story by Joel Ebert, um, who essentially got his hands on a document that the governor's office was refusing to release. Um, It was a a produced document that the Department of Health had uh, put out, had sent it to the governor's office in response to. Bill Lee's first executive order, which was calling on every state department in Tennessee to create these reports, these plans for how they were going to better serve rural Tennessee. Um, Obviously, that being a high priority of the governor's, we have been, as well as other news organizations, have been interested in knowing what those reports say, and the governor's office is declining to release those citing deliberative process. Am I getting that right, you guys? Is that essentially what's happened? Um, So we, we wanted to talk to Deb a little bit about about this this idea of deliberative process, where it started, when it started here in the state, um, and what it means going forward.
0: So, go ahead, give us a little background. How did this first come about in Tennessee?
2: Okay. So in, in Tennessee, uh, we don't have a statutory exemption um, that allows um, you know deliberative process essentially to be an exemption to the Public Records Act. Um, you do have that on the federal level with the Freedom of Information Act. Deliberative process is embodied in one of the exemptions at, uh, at the federal level. Some states have recognized deliberative process. Um, it's also sometimes called executive privilege. Um, and um, But it has been recognized in Tennessee in the context of some court cases, and um, the most recent one uh, was in um, 2013. It involved uh, a man who was suing Governor Bredesen uh, in the state. Um, saying that he, he, he had. Oh, You said stop?
0: 13, uh, 2005, right? Because Bredesen wasn't governor in 13.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. The uh, opinion sure. yes. came out in okay. 2013, correct. Okay. And essentially, um, he, he had a First Amendment claim that he was being retaliated against because he was camping out um, at the Capitol in protest to some. Uh, tin care uh, reductions, right? Yeah. And anyway, during the course of this lawsuit, he wanted to get some internal documents, some notes from some conversations between the governor's lawyers and attorney generals, uh, some editing on some documents. And um, the Supreme Court said in looking at this that, no, he couldn't have those. They were covered by attorney client work privilege work product and deliberative process so that's sort of the first um, or that was probably the most recent time that's come up. And so at,
0: it, at the time when that comes out, uh, tons of news organizations blocked at that, right? They, they worried did. about that. We
2: did. We Because it really hasn't shown up as an exemption in Tennessee. And you have to go back to the Public Records Act. The Public Records Act says that all public records are all documents, papers, letters, etc. made or received pursuant to law or ordinance in connection with the transaction of official business. So you go back to deliberative processes Supposed to supposed to cover in other situations in other states. What it covers is conversations between uh, closest advisors, like of the governor. Notes from those conversations, tapes of those conversations, go back to the Nixon tapes, right? Mm -hmm. That was executive privilege, i.e., deliberative process. That's what they're talking about. Um, So. Just to the current issue, then, how can deliberative process be used to prevent the disclosure of agency recommendations to improve rural Tennessee? And I don't know the answer to that. i don't I don't see that. Um they these were recommendations and uh, reports that were prepared in response to an executive order. They weren't the commissioners in a meeting with the governor talking about what should we do here. So, that's sort of what deliberative process is. Um, it has to be balanced between the public records law in other states where it's been recognized. Yeah, and
1: I think that's something that has has been really noteworthy in, in the situation, as you you mentioned. These these are not you know notes taken during a meeting. These were produced reports, um, you know, <laughs> photos included, and and all sorts of things like that. The kind of thing that you would expect. Um, to to read that was you know posted on on the governor's website or something like that um, certainly not minutes from a meeting official or unofficial um, so so that that's where we are and our our question has been um, why not and and Joel talk to us a little bit about the answer you've gotten from the governor's office so on that
0: the the first uh, I'm looking for. Um what Lane Arnold, who is the spokeswoman for uh, Governor Lee, said, uh, in response to my request in in a larger sense she she also said, drawing conclusions about policy ideas from an incomplete document at in a single department would be like calling the ball game after watching only one team in warm ups." We had several conversations after that denial occurred, and essentially, the governor's office was uh, sticking to that sort of talking point, right? Uh, That these are working recommendations; that we are not, um, it's not become policy. uh, Therefore, you know, you can't really draw too much conclusion from this document. Um, The document that uh, that we have uh, was provided to us by an anonymous person. They sent it in the mail to us. Uh, at which I would encourage more people to do. Um, <laughs> and we just literally looked at it and read it and reported from that. Uh, the, the administration did not at all say it was a fake document. Nobody, you know, came to us and said uh, this was not real and this was not a, a final version of it. Uh, so, you know, essentially the administration was just relying on this idea of, again, we're not done with this process. Um, which, again, in your mind, Deb, does that really stand up? If, if say, the documents that we're talking about, uh, we're trying to obtain, um, uh, they say it's it's kind of a working order. Is that something that deliberative process should, uh, under the eyes of the law, cover?
2: Well, it, it, it can be a legal question, and a judge might weigh in on that. But I would say I don't think so in this case. I mean, these are state agencies that were Asked in an executive order to produce a report and to produce recommendations, and I think when you look, you go back to that executive order, and it was the very first one, and you know, great, great flourish. I mean, we're going to look at these problems in rural Tennessee. We have some really serious. We have some some of the the worst counties in the entire country in terms of many markers, and um, and so. In the very first executive order, we're going to look at this. I'm going to instruct all the agencies to tell us how they're doing in in those areas, what's going on, and also what they can do better. So you look at that executive order and you don't think, oh, and all that's going to be secret Mm -hmm. when it comes in. You (laughs) you think, oh, that's great. You know, all that's, uh, we're going to get all these agencies, the lawmakers will be able to see what these agency recommendations are, and no one would expect that the governor is going to put together a plan that's going to, like, do everything every agency thinks should be done. So, you know, I I take a little bit of issue with what Lane said. I mean, I don't think anybody would be drawing any conclusions. I think they just are what they are. They're these state agencies. Well,
0: and one of the questions I have is um, the idea of, again, this is a a produced document that was created by each agency funded by taxpayers. So why should the taxpayers not be able to see exactly what's in there?
2: Right. Yeah, it's true. It it wasn't um, necessarily the, the individual commissioner. Correct um saying here's what I think governor we should do I mean they definitely uh, clearly would have a part in that process but I can't imagine that those commissioners you know were talking about strategy you know so I think um yeah and and I guess more to the point about um, why would anybody even want to see that um, it I think it uh, you know information our state agencies have a lot of information about what's going out going on you know with what the services that they provide, how improvements can be made, and this was their chance to say this is what we can do to help rural Tennessee, and yet now you know we can't know what that is so I think that's yeah, that's a yeah that was really surprising actually at the
0: me. the time of the um, de- decision that kind of set this precedent, uh, there was concern that this would lead to other local governments sort of using this this privilege this deliberative process. Do you have any idea, I mean, how common is this in Tennessee aside from the state government?
2: You know, when that decision came out, there was concern because we hadn't seen that in a court of appeals decision. Again, that was not a public records case. It was about discovery, you know, what this guy could get, well, you know, uh, from the state in his case to help prove his case. Um, But, um, you know, we actually haven't, I haven't heard a lot since then. And, um, you know, I Usually, if there is something that is covered, it's under attorney work product. We'll hear that a lot. Or attorney-client privilege, um, more work product. Um, But not so much. um, We haven't heard a deliberative process. I think we did fear, in terms of the way it was worded, that possibly some folks, you know, you might have, um, I think, as one Knoxville news editorial Stated that we could see how you know a mayor will use this to you know keep confidential a report about a pet project when the report you know indicates the pet project would not be a good deal for the city or mm-hmm. something like that. So, um, but I haven't heard those complaints yet. Now, this is actually the first big thing I've heard on the use of deliberative process to shield records.
1: But there there have been conversations about this. Um, I mean, certainly as long as I've been covering the speed the last year or so, um, even outside the governor's office. So it comes up on the topic of the legislature, too, and what kind of documents we can and can't get. Um, I, I I think, I don't know if it was you, Joel, I, I've had a conversation with someone recently who was mentioning that. Um, I think there were some legislators a few years ago who were who were trying to make all of these documents available to us and emails and things like that. Um, can you talk a little bit about the history of that recently,
0: uh, I mean, we have we have put in num- numerous requests for documents related to um, mostly House Speaker Glenn Cassata. Uh We were slow walked on several of them. We have one outstanding one that I'm just not going to get. Um, that I've been told, uh, and it's something that you know uh, the legislature and the administration in there believe they are exempt from the public records law. Deb's shaking her head. Um, tell me why you think that's not the case.
2: Well, I don't think that that has been defined, is what I think. Uh, there was a chancery court ruling that was not appealed um, that had to do with request for um, documents related to, um, I believe it was complaints of maybe sexual harassment mm-hmm. or something like this. But it was uh, clearly covered... Uh, as a proceeding, so I think the the AG actually had an opinion out on this. I, I'm sorry, I didn't know we were going to talk about that. I don't have yeah. the date to the top of my head, but um, you know, to the question, are are is the legislature exempt from the public records act? I think it was more about emails of lawmakers, and um, you know, went through some of the legal arguments about whether they could be or couldn't be. And I, you know, the when I re- read the AG's opinion, I, I sort of came down that probably some records of the legislature are. Uh, can are exempt from the Public Records Act that might be related to their proceedings because constitutionally they have control over their proceedings, but there are some records that are administrative in nature um, that aren't part of their proceedings that you know could be um, subject to the Public Records Act, and so I don't think it's ever really been defined in any any kind of court case, and that's probably why you see. You know, a willingness to give over some records
0: to avoid potentially deciding it in a court case.
2: Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that anybody exactly knows for sure. But, I, but I think if you look at, it, and this is how it is in a lot of states, there may be some records related to proceedings mm. of the legislature where they do constitutionally have control over all of that. But in terms of, um, uh you know, like I said, administrative records, so employment records, you know, staff, you know, the administrative, you have you have legislative departments. In fact, um, if you look at the Public Records Act, it specifically statutorily exempts some things that are legislative records. So if it exempts some things that are legislative records, you have to come to it with the assumption that they are public mm-hmm. if there's an exemption. So I think that's, you know, there's some arguments to be made that, um, certainly some records are, are are subject to the Public Records Act.
0: More generally, do you think that either the um, Open Records Act in the legislature and this deliberative process are things that, you know, obviously you're saying aren't necessarily settled, but did, can you anticipate maybe having more discussion on this through a legal challenge at some point?
2: Um. Well, it, I think if someone really wants those State agency reports and, and um, recommendations on how to improve state services in rural areas. You know, it's not exactly the Pentagon Papers, right. but they could fight for it. <laughs> well,
0: and, and I but, think that's sort of been the approach we've taken right. too with this with this fight with House Speaker Cassidy. Right? Uh, are the records enough to want to fight for it? Right. Um, maybe, but also you have to run the risk of if you go for the legal challenge, you could set a future precedent that would potentially harm, uh, the public's access.
2: Well, I don't know. Um, maybe, but I think that in, you know, in this particular case, you know, um, you know, you're not asking for something that normally would be, uh, it's not a national security sure. issue. I mean, you know, so there, there's some things that are going to be, it's not a huge privacy issue. So there are some things that I think are a little bit trickier, and and maybe, you know, you're asking for that the public doesn't think you should have. But I could be wrong, but I would think that the public would think you should have recommendations from a state agency on how to improve rural services. That doesn't seem to be so sensitive that right. it would be a problem, but uh, there could be there could be challenges. I mean, you actually point to one of the problems with our public records law, and that we have very we have really very little enforcement. And the only way um, that you can enforce the public records law is to file a lawsuit and go petition a, petition a judge.
0: Yeah, I know. In in my home state of Illinois, there is sort of an appeals process right. that goes through. I think it's the attorney general's office there, mm-hmm. where if you're denied, you can go to the AG and say. Eh, I don't think they're following the, the the process here, or they're denying me for the wrong reason. We don't have anything like that.
2: We do not have uh, an administrative appeals process, or like Illinois or Texas, that has the AG that can kind of make a call first. And I think that sometimes hurts us because um, while that can be a you know a cost to the state to have the administrative process, you at least have a chance for there to be something in between that will rule on the situation. You know, and even if it's not binding in terms of you can still go to court, it can kind of settle the water. Okay, you know, you have you have someone looking at it, and I think that that is, you know, that's a that's probably a reason that um, you know it's so easy to deny records in Tennessee and just you know bank on no one suing you. Anything
1: else? Yeah, I think. It's just a matter of is is there going to be a situation where, you know, the Tennessean or X other news outlet decides uh, it's time to challenge this? And it doesn't seem like at this point that's going to happen. But, you know, it's something we'll keep looking at. yeah, and it's
2: something to continue to talk about. I mean, eventually someone's going to want something and and they'll want it enough to that, file the that, or, that they'll either either yeah. do that or or hopefully what you know, and what I do in turn in terms of ag- advocacy is try to point out, you know why we need to continue to have access. I mean, the legislature could come in and clarify mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we hope that another good example, and I've talked to you about this, and there's some legislation that's still out there on, you know, improving notice of meetings, adequate notice of meetings. There there are a lot of things that the legislature could act upon to clarify the law, um, to have that policy debate, and um, that would also help, that would actually help with enforcement because you don't have so much, you know, broad interpretation.
1: Well, maybe the governor's office will change its mind
2: after we'll listening the, to this
0: episode. The rest of
1: oh, those no. twenty some odd reports, and we'll tell you all about them if we get our hands on them. Or hey, other people could could send us the lake documents. Them,
0: please Lake them.
1: Eighteen oh one Weston Avenue, the Tennessee Inn. Well, so anyway, send them our way. Thank you, Deb, for coming on, for um, talking about this issue with us. Um, again, we'll, we'll see what happens next. But um, in the meantime, we will uh, keep trying to get these documents in whatever way we can.
0: And now finally, our notebook dump.
3: Hey, everybody. I want to share something with you that I've had on my heart these nine months since I've become the governor. You know, everywhere that Maria and I travel across this great state, we're met with countless numbers of people that come up to me and say, Governor, we're praying for you and for Maria and for your family. I want you to know that we deeply appreciate those prayers because we know that God hears them. We know that prayer accomplishes much. Prayer strengthens our families and it strengthens our communities, strengthens our relationship with our neighbors. It strengthens our relationship with God himself. So because of that, we have decided to proclaim an official day of prayer and fasting for our state on October 10th of this year. On that day, Maria and I will take the day to offer prayers of healing, prayers for forgiveness, prayers of thanksgiving, and prayers of hope for our state and for the 6.7 million who call Tennessee home. We invite all Tennesseans to join with us in their homes, in their communities, in their places of worship, to fast and to pray for God's favor and blessing on the people of Tennessee. You'll hear more about the day as it approaches, and we look forward to hearing how Tennesseans will gather on this important and powerful day.
0: As you heard there, Governor Bill Lee has vowed to have October 10th as a day of prayer and fasting. That day comes one day after Yom Kippur, a traditional Jewish holiday in which fasting also takes place. Lee has been criticized by some for his decision to hold a fasting day.
1: Now that Tennessee has released its proposal to obtain a Medicaid block grant from the federal government, it's been met with some pushback from opponents, including Congressman Steve Cohen. He is uh, the U.S. representative from Memphis, um, who sent a letter to the CMS director, Seema Verma, questioning the legality of such proposal. Uh, That follows the chair of the House Energy and Commerce uh, Committee, who back in June actually also sent a letter to CMS um, highlighting some of those same concerns about the legality of such a proposal and whether CMS has the authority to approve a block grant for Medicaid. Uh, A University of Michigan professor uh, also wrote a blog post last week following Tennessee's announcement questioning whether uh, the federal government could do the same thing. That was University of Michigan professor Nicholas Bagley.
0: On Tuesday, the day this podcast comes out, the Registry of Election Finance and Ethics Commission are set to decide on who will be the next executive director of the Tennessee Bureau of Ethics and Campaign Finance. Essentially, that position oversees both the Ethics Commission and the Registry, which are two of the only panels and boards that provide oversight of lawmakers. There are a handful of candidates who will be vetted and interviewed and supposed to be selecting one by the end of Tuesday. That's it for Grand Divisions this week. As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Please continue to rate us on iTunes. Uh, We will be coming out with another episode next week, and in about a month, we're going to have a special edition of the podcast in which we are taking a look back at Operation Rocky Top, the late 1980s political scandal that uh, caught up uh, several lawmakers, lobbyists and the like. Uh, Again, that will be one month from now or thereabouts. Uh, So we look forward to sharing that with you. As always, uh, this podcast is produced by John Garcia and Erica Whitney. I'm Joel Ebert.
1: And I'm Natalie Allison.
0: See you next week.